Hi. How Hi. are you, Sarah? <laughs> Good. How are you? Good. Welcome to PR Tech Wednesdays, the weekly webinar where thought leaders discuss the latest in PR tech. If it's Wednesday, it's PR Tech Wednesdays. We do this every Wednesday from 12 to 1 Pacific. It's free. And this is a community. It's a place for you to come and ask questions. So hopefully you've been reading my emails and you got out of your pajamas and you combed your hair and you're ready to come on screen and ask your question. And, um, you know, if you're working on something that you want to gut check or you just have an idea you want to sort of bounce off of uh, Sarah or myself or really anybody else that wants to comment on something that was said previously, that's what this is about. Um, so our guest today is Sarah Evans. She is a digital strategist who focuses on leveraging earned, owned, and, owned, and shared media uh, to connect digital lifestyle brands with target audiences. Uh, that's kind of her sweet spot. Her clients include PayPal, Cox Communication, MGM International, and uh, Walmart. Um, Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. It's it's longtime friend, so it's a first time caller. I'm excited to be here today. I know, I know. I remember when you were first uh, when your 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 story came out. Uh, let me. I want to show everybody on the call here um, a story that ran in Vanity Fair, and it was America's Tweethearts. Was the was the story, and it was uh, celebrities and socialites and Sarah amongst them. And at the time, it was uh, Twitter was just becoming big, and uh, this was a really hot story. And then I know at that time you were nice enough to be interviewed on my podcast at the time on the record online. A long time ago, I said pre kids. I don't. I don't even know that person. <laughs> well, you look. You look pretty much the same to oh. me. Thank you. I appreciate it. So before we get started, I want to give you something that I know you're going to appreciate. Um, we're going to be talking about owned, earned, and shared media here today. Mm -hmm. And um, we're going to be talking about sharing content over social networks or platforms that we don't own. And these are amazing channels for building visibility and credibility uh, for yourself and your clients. Uh, but there are also, um, a few agencies or brands that, that can say that they get most of their best traffic from social, uh, most of the, the traffic that's converting uh, on the B2B and B2B and B2C side is traffic that comes from search, from uh, a search, and we call that organic traffic. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the, the thing that's different about search traffic is rather than just hanging out in Facebook or hanging out in Instagram, not really for any reason, maybe just to waste some time and then maybe being interested in something and clicking on a link, someone who's searched on Google is obviously pre-qualified. They sort of confessed what they're looking for. They've searched a question that they have. And if they find your site and you can solve that problem for them, they are going to convert uh, at a higher, much higher level. Um, Right. If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, did it really fall? And by the same measure, if you're making a bunch of content and no one can find it through search, is it even worth making? So um, I produced a course on the basics of search engine optimization for marketing and PR people. It's a non-technical course, but it's a course designed to introduce you 
to SEO. And uh, I'm going to make that available to you for free. I'm going to give you a, a link where you can get it. So get something to write it down. The course covers keyword discovery, organic traffic versus referral traffic, citation indexing, metadata, mobile search, and more. And as I said, it's not technical. Uh, if you're a marketing or a PR person and you want to sort of up your game and learn search engine optimization, this is a great opportunity to do it. Um, also, I have a private Facebook group where you can ask questions about the class. And if you sign up, you get a link to the private Facebook page. Uh, okay, so if you're ready, um, you can access my course, The Basics of SEO, at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. Again, I'm offering free access to The Basics of SEO. It's an online course, and you can get it at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. Our bookstagram of the week, ta-da, is You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Now, I want to tell you the story of this because I hate self-help books. Like, if there was self-help book repellent, I would cover myself from it head to toe before I walked into a bookstore. But I went into the bookstore at LAX before I was getting on a trans uh, transatlantic flight, and I saw this book, and I kind of... I kind of like, you know, cringed and thought, oh, my God, I would never read a book like that. How lame. And then I saw on the top it said New York Times bestseller number one. And so I had this, this teachable moment where I sort of, you know, the, the, the ice around my facade melted. And I thought to myself, you know what? Could I actually read something this shallow and this meaningless? And if I did... If I did actually buy the book and read it, how would I make sure that no one saw me reading it? So I waited till the bookstore kind of thinned out. There was no one in there. And then kind of like, you know, a teenager peeking at a girly mag, I sort of, you know, kind of looked into it when no one was looking. And I thought, you know what? I, I came onto this one quote. I want to read it for you. All you have to do is make the choice to let go of everything you're attached to that's not serving you and manifest the reality you want. Life is an illusion created by your perception and it can be changed the moment you choose to change it. And I read that and I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm going to read, I'm going to buy the book. So I, I kind of hid it under my carry on and I, I figured I'd, you know, just keep it down on the tray table so no one could see it when I was reading. And I freaking devoured this book. I loved it. I got so much out of it. And it proves that even a stubborn, hard-headed guy like me can learn something new. So this is the book, uh, Bookstagram of the Week. I think you'll enjoy it if you have a chance to pick it up. Okay, let's get started. The chat room is open for questions. Uh, so again, if you have any ideas you want to bounce off um, Sarah or myself, ask away. So let's start with the discussion about earned media. Because um, I know you do a lot of uh, media relations on behalf of your clients. So what's happening in the earned media space right now? Well, I will tell you, Eric, and, and anyone who works in the PR space right now, in the past five weeks has been one of the most dynamic shifts that I've ever seen. Um, the way things even are cyclical now, it might be by 48 hours or a week um, just because of COVID-19 with reporters switching beats, with mass journalist layoffs. I think we're at 23,000 either furloughed or laid off. Uh, and things are just changing how quick we need resources um, to be able to get to reporters, the types of stories being covered. 
at no other time have I been so diligent about creating, monitoring uh, Twitter lists and, and all sorts of different tools that we have on the back end to see what are reporters writing about right now, what are they searching, keeping continuous litmus tests on what headlines are producing or what assignment directors are looking for. So while things are changing, we're also trying to be a resource for media. So it's a practice we've always done where we will send out a source, even if it's not a client, but we're doing that more so than ever. We're saying, if you need someone urgent, you know, we'll put out a query for you. We'll help, we'll help secure them for you. How can we be a resource? How can we help without overstepping in a role? But we've been sourcing more than ever uh, earned media placements. And of course it all coincides with our full scope services plan of how we then amplify in social or create for owned uh, and it runs the gamut, but it's still e extremely relevant. It, and the other day I was on um, a show talking about what's old is new again, everything from telephone calls to direct mail to media relations, all of the things people were moving or seem to be moving away from have come back full force right now. So when you're pitching, I guess, you know, everyone's saying, well, you don't want to be too aggressive right now. You want to sort of be sensitive to what's going on. A lot of people are out of work. You know, a lot of people are sick. Um, is that still the case? Are you still far or are people starting to say, get tired of it and think, you know what, let's get on with it. Let's start hearing regular news stories again. What's what when you're talking to journalists, uh, how has their aptitude for non-COVID-19 news changed? Is it starting to wake up again or is it still COVID-19 all the time? Right now, the reporters we're working with, it, it is all COVID-19. Not to say that it's not changing. If you do a quick scope of, let's say, uh, top morning show producers, you will see a myriad of different topics coming through right now. Um, when we're, you, you made the point, you know, are there inboxes being flooded? They're inundated with pitches. And yes, we're seeing a reduced response time, 24 to 72 hours. One of the things we've been doing on Mondays is for particular media groups, groupings or lists that we have is packaging together a weekly stories opportunity. So that way, instead of sending them, you know, 17 different pitches from various people on the team, we package it together. Here's how it could relate to what you're doing. And then over the past you know, 11 plus years, I've worked to build relationships with media outside of email. So checking in to see what they're sharing, what they're talking about, what they're doing, and, and either commenting or encouraging clients to comment to get integrated into stories or pitching them on a, a back channel of, of a place where we already have a relationship built. And many of them, I just had a phone call yesterday with um, uh, someone who works for a, a top TV outlet who produces something that then gets sent on their you know, distribution wire. Um, she was looking for story ideas. She said, I'm, you know, I'm over talking about what, how to make hand sanitizer at home, but I still need something that has some COVID-19, you know, relativity, but, but what are some new angles you see coming? Hey, would you be willing to tell us in more detail this pack, uh, how you do this package, like both from a formatting and a design standpoint, maybe the length of the pitches, like what is that? Absolutely. And I stay away from design, anything too formal. It is specifically email based. What I typically do is um, highlight no more than five to seven bullet points. I do some sort of intro that's personalized to them. I'll look to see what they're talking about uh, just in case. Uh, it, well, let me just specify. It does change based on if I'm pitching TV versus you know print versus digital. Mm -hmm. So you may have to change it up for TV. For example, we'll give the bullet points and then I'll create a little caption next to each it says here's the visual component or you know here's what you you can showcase so if i already have clients who've recorded pre-packaged um sound bites or templates if i've got uh, a dropbox folder to links and visuals i try to think very visual for them 
It's usually three to five sentences each. I think of a, a top performing type of headline, set some context, a link to their site, and then include if it's TV or someone that needs visual, a link to visual assets. Um, and then at the bottom, if they're interested in any of them or need more content, if they need something produced or they just need you know, a quote, they can contact me and we'll put that all together for them. What have you learned in terms of like uh, the length of the email and what tends to do better? Do you find that if you give them too much, you overwhelm them and you don't get as much feedback? Uh, what, what have you learned about how long the, the total email should be? Not just each pitches, pitch in the email. And then how many emails do you think, you know, how many uh, pitches can you have in one email? So I, I think short and sweet is always good, but I also think there is no general rule. Um, for example, a few weeks ago, we were pitching about a brand new drone, the first of its kind. It had a UVC attached light, could fly indoors. There's no tech of its kind. It had larger implications because they didn't have brand recognition. So we had to talk about how they were achieving this 99% disinfection rate. We were pitching very tech-heavy publications who are appreciative of more versus less. And anytime we can link, it was already going to be a lengthy pitch. So we started packaging some things together and then link off to them if a reporter want, wanted more. And it was receiving a ton of response and traction. So people were reading it regardless of the length of that. Right now, for some of the stories that may not be large scale impact, we will, that, those are the ones we start to package together. And of course, then we're doing one-off pitching as well to various media. But for those who we know who are on tight tub, deadlines, still accepting pitches and are looking and have proactively told us, please send us what you have. Those are the ones we're packaging together. So, you know, there's a, a website called Muckrack that a lot of people use as a media database. For this. <laughs> you use it? Yeah. And they just launched a new, fairly new product called Trends. And you can kind of look at it and see what's trending in the news. So it's a great way to sort of feel like, oh, what, what's hot right now? What are you using when you put that email together to figure out kind of what to pitch against? We use um, at least four to six different tools. Um, so Makarak is one, and we I do utilize trends to check out that. I usually jump in SEMrush to look for content, ironically looking at content marketing or trend ideas because I want to see what people are talking about. I look at Google Trends. I've custom created Twitter lists for every single media list I develop, so I check that out as well. And then I'll get in various journalism groups that I belong to or PR groups and ask to see what's trending. And then simply just texting or calling the journalists that I have great relationships with every week to see what, what is on the horizon. And then we're custom, and I'm custom crafting those pitches based on all of that feedback, along with just looking at headlines. We have to look every day. Sarah, do you feel like it's got to be regular? It's got to come out the same time every week for people to, and so, so that it starts to get some uh, traction or is it not necessarily, is it intermittent, this email that you put out? It depends on who I'm pitching. So the, the email isn't just going to one set list. For example, if I'm pitching a, uh, an editor at Cheddar, let's say, for example, and I know she's pitching to her producers every Thursday, I want to get it to her by Wednesday morning or Tuesday um, and she lets me know what's of most interest, maybe what she wants more information on. And then those are the ones she's going to send forward uh, to her uh, producers on Thursday. If it's my Bloomberg contact, I don't want to reach her every Monday or potentially every Friday for planning for the next week. Um, if it's a producer at CGTN, she takes them as I get them. So it just depends on nuances and who wants what, when, and, and having the, the wherewithal to understand that. And what do you like for email distribution and link tracking? 
So I am all about the one-to-one pitching. So we try to stay within that realm. If we do need to do something that's more of a, a mass I guess a a mass level outside of wire services, we'll use a combination of uh, GMAS and then some backend link tracking tools that we have um, for those, which vary. But for the most part, the most success we see does not come from mass pitching. And we get tons of placements, you know, every, every week. And some of those strategies like using CNN news source where you get, you know, a single hit that then gets distributed down to affiliates across the U S can give you 70 media placements. You don't use a link tracking tool for the one-on-one email to see if they've opened it or what's kind of what's going on there. They'll reply if they want, if they want something. Right, right, right. Let's talk for a minute about sort of virality, making, taking a story and, and propelling it forward. You know, I remember once at CES, I had a client that had a product and, you know, I, it's so, it's so tough. You know, that, that show is so busy. There's so much going on and, and it's really hard to get attention. And, and I was concerned we were going to have a hard time getting mainstream media attention, which was what they wanted. So what we did was we actually gave it exclusively to a top blog and in their category. And then rather than pitch the story to the mainstream media, we sent a link to the blog post to the mainstream media. And that worked really well. Um, I've been playing a lot with Talkwalker late, lately, uh, which is a great tool. And they actually have a product, uh, a tool in there called the Virality Map. And you can kind of see over a timeline how a story uh, becomes bigger based on who spreads it and who the key influencers are. Do you ever go that route where you say, you know what, we're not going to go straight to media. Let's go to an influencer. Let's get it out through them. Because in this case, the source of the information is maybe even more important than the information itself. We've done a whole, we've done launches like that. We do a whole host of different types of launches. We utilize product hunt quite a bit and we might do an exclusive story pitch along with the product hunt launch for those, you know, tech uh, angles or type stories. We're talking about um, virality of all of this, that drone client that I mentioned, we had such a great strategy and pickup for that within 35 days. They've had to hire a new salesperson to, to, um, to take the impact of all of the media operations and a 20% increase in sales, you know, like you talk about just virality of media, but it has a real bottom line implication, which is beautiful and, and phenomenal. We didn't have to do an exclusive reach. We had to leverage a situational moment in time, a new product that never existed and give them some credibility and, and viability. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about earned media and then we're going to transition into social and digital. And we have a question from Xenia Moore. So I'm going to bring her on screen in a moment. I just want you to be ready for that. Uh, But in the meantime, what's happening with respect to like what type of stories are resonating right now? What do you see? What's working? Here's, here's what I can tell you what journalists are giving me feedback. Let me start with that. And then we can talk about what's resonating. Um, number one is if you don't have brand recognition, just as, as an example, you know, Budweiser pivoted and started making hand sanitizer. I didn't see any news stories saying, where did the sanitizer come from? What is the effectiveness rate? You know, it was like, okay, they have brand recognition. They said they created sanitizer, it's sanitizer. So we're going to use it. If you're an unknown company, pivoting to create hand sanitizer, they're going to want to know, media is going to want to know a lot about where are you creating this? You know, is it in a safe facility? What are the ingredients? 
who's already purchasing from you. You're obligated to give a lot more information just to vet and to show credibility behind what you are doing, even if it's a goodwill gesture. Um, uh, so that's, I'm, I'm finding a lot of additional fact-finding questions. So even if you invent a new product because of COVID-19, it may not get a lot of media traction unless there's already a current buyer or implementation or you've done testing or you have some results behind it versus the big brand or an Elon Musk who says, I have an idea and it, you know, it goes viral. Everyday brands may not experience that same success. And what is it that that's resonating now? So in, so it depends. There are, by news outlet, you have to really see what's happening. For example, if you're looking at a today shows of the world or morning shows, they might still be very focused on hard hitting news. So not a lot of the human interest or goodwill stories. Yet if you delve down into local media, print, uh, TV, they're looking for some of those, not just human interest angles, but those with major results. For example, in Las Vegas, just two weeks ago, um, a local startup donated money towards the Chromebook deficiency here in Las Vegas. But to really make it media worthy, they challenged all of the other tech heads who are here in Las Vegas to also contribute because we knew for every dollar spent, it could reduce Chromebook deficiency for CCS students by X number of students. So we package it together as part of a large angle it was still very you know much feel good and it utilized a tech fund that already existed through a nonprofit through the school district so as you delve from big to small all of those headlines that are resonating are different there is no packaged solution right now um, as i said i create those twitter lists that's one of the best places i can go for litmus tests so if you go onto twitter and click lists on my um profile. You'll see I have people segmented out by every single morning show producer. I have uh, local news editors for all of the local outlets across the U.S. I've got one for CNN and PR, so you can start to delve into what everyone's talking about at those outlets. Those lists are amazing, and I will post the link to your Twitter in the chat for everyone so you can grab that. Um, And I want to ask you, are, are you seeing clients shift budget from paid media over to PR right now? What's happening with that? Such a great question. of budget. Yes. So, you know, it's the question right now, even just casually on the street, if, on the street, you know, outside your doors closed from neighbors, how's business doing? You know, everybody wants to know how everyone else is doing. And I said, maybe from a PR perspective, our, our bubble's coming a little later for those of us not impacted um, because we're not focused maybe on hospitality or other industries that have been hard hit. But what I've seen is an increase right now in, um, not the paid side, not the pay, paid social or, or just ad spends, but people reallocating budget to do more stories around those companies where they have an actual COVID uh, story to tell. Um, it, it's obviously not meaningless dollars spent, but it's people who have products they want to launch, information they want to get out, or they've got a great brand story that that goes very well right now. Um, and those brands and the brands we're working with in, in the tech or digital lifestyle space have been trending more on that end versus the paid. I don't know that that's something that's going to continue, but that's where we're at right now. So there's, it's comprehensive. We can get them based on the assets and resources we have access to. Uh, So if you're listening and you need a media list or you're interested in, in something that would impact a wide variety or amount of other PRs, let me know and our team can help work on building that. So my goal is to be able to click on any of those lists and see at a glance what those media outlets are talking about, who those reporters are retweeting. Um, And I feel like it's an 
awesome litmus test that is completely untapped right now. Totally. It's such a great idea. Okay, I'm going to bring Zinia Moore on. Her you question is, what tools are you using and recommending? Um, I love that. So I actually share because I am, you know, a, a Twitter fanatic. Usually once a week or every other week, I create my ongoing list of tools that I love. So I'm going to pull this up right here so I don't miss one. Um, and they range from work from home tools or list building tools, whatever it is that I am most interested in. And I do like to give ongoing talks of uh, all of my favorite tools. Let me see if I can find a... I got, I got her on. I got her on. Oh, you do? Awesome. First of all, I think that was genius and a good reminder about the Twitter lists. So I'm going to get going on that right away. I love You know, it's the what's old is new again. I thought I can't be the only one thinking about this because we've always used them. And I thought, you know, what can we do to help right now, especially with the smaller boutique firms or other places that might not have the resources to create all these, you know, and it's something to help all of us pitch a little better. I, I view it as something that can be an industry helper. Um, which is great. So, um, Zinia, I'm going to tell you just really quick my list of 11 tools that we're using from a work-from-home capacity, but they're applicable to PRs in general. Yeah. One is Get, Get Shift or Shift. Uh, that's what I'm using for all of our um, email uh, communication. It allows me to integrate everything, including um, email, Calendly, Zoom, like the three different telegrams, the seven different slacks I'm on, Zoom. It brings everything together in one capacity. And our team also gets white labeled in under a lot of companies. So we have an embarrassing amount of email addresses. So it helps me be able to manage and use all of those. Okay. Um, Are these both for Mac and PC or just for correct. Mac? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I think it was $99 for the pro account, which we needed because we were already over the free limit within like the first three accounts. <laughs> um, Slack, which you've probably heard of, it's something that we uh, use in Slack is also integrated into GetShift. This is one of my favorite tools and it's the most simple, but it's so important to our team. If you are a Google Chrome user, Toby for tabs. It is a browser organizer, if you will, a browser bookmark tool, but I actually use it in a very strategic workflow sort of way where I keep um, in a private document all of our master media lists, current pitches we have going on, individual story media lists, press releases, our Dropbox press files, current media reports, and client assets. Those are all of the documents I keep up at any given time. So anytime I open a new tab, all of those things are visible to me so I can quickly reference them. From an onboarding or company perspective, I have a public tab that includes all of our favorite digital PR tools. So some of the ones that I'm mentioning now, our meetings, tools, and resources, our guest posting opportunities, and any Twitter list I want everyone on the team to be following and interacting with. This is also great from an onboarding perspective. So if you have um, new client documents uh, or new hire documents, you can keep them all in these tabs and everyone has access to at all times. So I can't uh, say enough good things about that. Zoom, which we're already using today. How do you, sorry, how do you spell? Is it Toby? How do you spell that? T-O-B-Y. Okay. Um, for Chrome. Okay. Uh, the next one, I feel like I'm just, I, I try to give away my arsenal. I don't know how many people actually end up using these things, but I feel like it sets us apart. Um, Ink, uh, inkforall.com. It is 
the simple way to say it would be like Grammarly plus SEO, but it's so much more than that. And they've got some amazing features that they release regularly. I do all of my writing in that, anything that has to do with content marketing, because it's smarter than anything I could ever do. They have custom built AI and all of our content has started to rank and trend higher since we have used this and it just gets everything done faster. So you don't have to know it yourself as a PR person and it's really best in class. For the next tool, I'll just quickly talk about because it's enterprise level, it's Turbine Labs. That's our, our monitoring system that we use um, for clients. It's amazing, but uh, typically uh, enterprise level pricing. They do do a daily COVID-19 executive briefing that I send on to most of our clients. That's free and extremely beneficial. Muckrack, which Eric mentioned, I can't live without. Calendly to um, uh, manage our calendars. I know you asked about um, some email services. SendGrid is one that we used. Eric, I know we were talking about that. And then we utilize Squarespace and Google Drive. So that's the that's those are my eleven biggies. Cool, nice. Here's a great question from an anonymous attendee, and the question is for a solo practitioner with limited resources. What's the best way to reach a national network? You mentioned CNN earlier. For a client that has national intentions. Client wants to be national. Story is live online soccer classes for toddlers and young children. Great visuals, relatively unknown, but ambitious. So I think that's the perfect opportunity to go to those local creators for the major networks and get one of them to get your story that then gets distributed to all of the affiliates nationwide. Um, those are the folks we really love to check in with weekly. That's something you do have to research. You know, it takes years to build those relationships and be able to to get them to respond right away, but it doesn't mean it won't work. You just have to do your due diligence and know what those services are, who you contact for them, and then be very strong in your pitch. You see great results from that regularly. I see a lot of familiar faces uh, in the uh, amongst the attendees. Hey, Ross. Hey, Scott. Hey, Tim. Thanks for coming. Michael, thanks for coming back. I'm not sure if you were last week, but I thank you for your email uh, at the beginning of last week's show. Michael, Mary Beth, Lisa, everyone, welcome. Do we have any other questions or should we just uh, keep going on? If anyone has questions, you can either put the questions preferably in the Q&A uh, section of Zoom rather than the chat. And for the chat, it's wide open. So if people just want to network amongst themselves or trade and swap stories or, or resources there, please feel free to do so. Um, let's talk for a minute about social media. You know, there's like, there's people who get social media and there's people that do social media, you know? You've always been like, in my book, somebody who really gets social media, you know? And I feel like sometimes I get social media and sometimes I don't. It's like sporadic with me, like, Sometimes I'll be engaging and everything will be going great. And the next day it's crickets, you know? So what sort of tips, what sort of basic tips can you give us about how best to use social media to propel a story forward? Well, right now, one of the things I'm, I'm definitely making a point to say in every single interview is creating some sort of emotional compass that you keep in front of you and your clients at any given time. And on that list. What is an emotional compass? Tell me about that. It's essentially a list of major thoughts and feelings that the majority of 
folks in the world or in your market have right now, whether that's being furloughed or out of work, having health issues or someone in their family who could be ill, ex- increased anxiety or concerns about health or um, isolation, depression, and anxiety. And when we are getting ready to put together messages or um, press releases or anything, anything like that, we kind of gauge it against the compass. Does this, in fact, help, harm, hurt, support, you know, what, what is this doing in regards to what we know that people are going to be feeling and how are we driving that? Is it going to be negative? Is it going to be positive? And that's something that I've always inherently done with social is thinking about intention of the information that we are sending out. And I think that's something all brands can do. And it's relatively simple. And as a PR person, you can show value and credibility by kind of being that, that final check, that final gut check, the final emotional check to make sure things are going to resonate um, and protect the brand because, you know, you also want to protect your client and make sure they're not going to make a very um, sad or memorable mistake that would cost them um, reputation or dollars. Yeah, boy, I'm just looking over the attendees here, man. We have a serious brain trust of PR folks on this. We have the former president of the PRSA, Cheryl Proctor Rogers on the call. We have Gail Murphy on the call, Gina Milani. I mean, this is a real power. I, I want you guys to step up with questions, okay? Here's a question from Ross Halleck uh, with Halleck Vineyards. And they're a, a winemaker up in Napa Valley. And he says, is social media worth the investment in time? What are the metrics that drive that answer? I think, uh, I don't know if this is going to be the best answer because it's not a complete answer, but it depends on what your objective is. As a PR person, it's one of the core places that I've built media relations, which then translates into story pickup and uh, media stories being utilized, which in turn, you know, helps our bottom line. But it also, it's a place for amplification, for example. So let's say you get a great story pickup. What do you do with it then from an organic standpoint or a social standpoint? We typically work with our clients to create a list of X number of amplification tactics where it's how do we repurpose this on social and give it some longevity? How do we use this as a third-party credibility endorsement in response to FAQs that come out online? Can we use this in our email signatures for 30 to 60 days to enhance credibility, somebody else saying something, you know, positive, good, or a mention about our brand. Um, On social, it's a great way to build brands. One of the things we do when we onboard clients in our new client questionnaire is to talk about what brands would you eventually like to partner with? Many times before social, that could take a long time to be affiliated with someone or just get in the door where now you can tag a brand or a brand advocate on social and start to build that relationship and inherently start to, to to package things together as a, I I don't know the size of the vineyard, but let's say you notice a trend with something in wine, but you know, it's better packaged together. It's a larger trend story, finding other vineyard owners on social or creating social content that can resonate to a wider audience, utilizing people in your network. So I know these aren't the hard numbers you're looking for, but I typically look in terms of opportunity and what can be done with it. And then we'll see what, what kind of results we're getting to see if it should stick or not. You know, it's interesting. Um, when you use social media to amplify an existing story, you still have to have the story to amplify in the first place. And I think a lot of times people go to social thinking, oh, this is just a place to talk. But you're really talking about something. 
And if you have something credible to reference, the likelihood that the story is going to get some amplification is better. I put together this little graph. Can 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 you see this? Yes, and I you know Eric, I saw I think when you originally posted this, I saw it and I I loved it. So right, so we look at these sort of three spheres: owned media, which would be your website, your blog, email, perhaps your social media profile page, shared media, that which is shared on a platform that you don't own. And then earn media, what we've been talking about most of this call, really the, the area of public relations, building visibility and credibility through third-party editorial endorsements. Um, and so once you have that third-party editorial endorsement, you know, going to shared media is a way to earn credibility. You see in the overlap of earned and shared, I put credibility. Then when you look at the overlap between owned and earned media, that's really about influence. If you're bylining on a mainstream media website, right, you're then get the implied endorsement of having been published there. And of course, you know, the overlap of owned and shared, that's the visibility. That's what we're talking about here. Um, so when you think about sort of mapping out the strategy and you want to find the people in social that are going to have the most influence and the most leverage Right, Because you, you find when you look at a virality map, there's one or two people that if they share it early on, it goes viral. Yes. Right? How do, you, how do you find those online influencers? So part of that is, is a combination of uh, perhaps a bit more pricier products we have access to, along with more dedicated hand research, cura- hand curation and research. And it depends what social network you're looking for and what you want to accomplish. Obviously, we spend a lot of time working with journalists, but if we're running an influencer campaign, um, and you have to look about, number one, what's your budget? Uh, that's, That's bottom line for this, because the types of folks you get to talk about something may have a higher price tag associated with them than you're willing to spend, and also the time to to hire a a firm who actually does influencer relations can be a bit pricey. There are lots of kind of prepackaged or pay-and-play sites like Social Native and those sorts of things where you can go and pay and say, I have a product, I want to reach X number of influencers, and they've got a back-end put together they can manage that all for you. Uh, On our end, uh, let's say because we work in digital lifestyle, we're not doing a lot of consumer-facing products, but we'll look for subject matter experts or thought leaders. And one of the things that we do in the back end is think, how can we give them influence? Um, Of course, if budget's there, we want to pay them, but how can we also extend influence to them? So working with, with large brands that have to do that We'll usually utilize services on our end, like the Turbine Labs of the world and and Muckrack, which do have a higher price point to start to look for those folks. And then simply, you know, one of the easiest things I keep talking about Twitter is once you find one of those influencers, look to see who they're following, look to see on their follower list, look to see who they're interacting with and go down the rabbit hole of research. If, If budget isn't on your side right now, but you have some time or man hours, do that manual research to see who's in that wheelhouse of those folks to start to find them. Sarah, what, this is from Michael Shepard. So what kind of success are you seeing with sponsored posts integrated with your organic content? Um, and how is the C-suite viewing those outcomes? That's such a great question. And right now, uh, we talked about moving a bit more away from paid. In the past, we saw great results, especially when we get those media hits. One of the ways that we were getting a ton of conversion on sites was a combination of this um, earned and organic along with paid. So we'd get these great third-party mentions, transition those into some ad opportunities and sponsored posts and get them back to the site for conversions, which are great. 
The other thing that we do on our end is if we're going to be reaching out to a media list, this isn't post story, this is pre story. We'll also target them with some appropriate ads if we're going to be reaching out to them so that they start to build brand recognition or name recognition. So they saw it on Facebook ad, now it's in their inbox. You know, maybe that's that's correlated for them. And then sponsored content in general, like um, Instagram ads or, or Facebook pieces, if they are consumer facing products, those tend to perform much better than uh, ideation or um, tech products that are a bit more complex and need um, uh, need more love. So we'll look at more appropriate places for those. If it's B2B, we'll go to LinkedIn. If it's uh, more of a Reddit audience, we'll look there. Product Hunt has great sponsored ad opportunities. So we're not just limiting it to one um, one kind of general overview, but we look for the best places. My friend, Kemi Heiser, who uh, is out of, um, I think it's El Paso, Texas, but um, she uh, was on this show three or four weeks ago, and I had heard her, she does a morning uh, LinkedIn Live, and she was talking to Scott Bardell of, um, uh, God, Orchard PR, I'm not, I don't remember the name, I apologize, Scott, and Scott was talking about uh, community and Forbes Council and, um, you know, the, the Biz Journal Council, and I noticed you are a Forbes Council member. And that's really an interesting organization because in addition to the networking, it gives you a way to publish on Forbes. Now, you can't just, you know, it's, all, it's edited and you got to talk about things you know and you can't hand out a bunch of links. It's not a SEO opportunity. But, I mean, it's a great way to sort of secure placement on Forbes. And, and one of the things they mentioned is when you do get the placement on Forbes, it winds up trending as a notification on LinkedIn. Yeah. So um, I just want the reason I want to bring it up is because the COO of that organization is our guest on this show in two weeks. So if you're interested in Forbes Council or any of that program community, let's we'll, we'll table that for now and uh, and come back to it. I want to go to a question from Gail Falkenthal. She says, "At what point do you need to tell a client to focus on owned and shared unless unearned?" when you're burning through budget and a client simply doesn't have the uh, worthwhile pitch at that moment? I love this question. I do too. And I feel like this is an excellent workshop opportunity. I don't know that I am the expert source on that. I mean, I obviously have experienced it and we do have to guide, but it is so situational. Uh, I've got some great clients where we keep, I mean, we, we are always looking at what numbers are resonating. So we pivot very quickly. So the decision is kind of made for us. Like We're not resonating here. So we need to switch here this week or this month based on what's happening, but I, I think it's it's situational. I would love to hear from you guys um, in the chat area what you've done in these scenarios because I don't I, I don't know about you, Eric. I don't know that there's a one size on screen, let me know and I'll elevate yeah. you to the panelist. You can tell us oh. about it. I mean I can <laughs> tell you, I think it leads to a lot of um, failed client agency relationships because typically the client comes through the door wanting earned media. That's what drives them to PR in the first place. And the last thing they want to hear from the, from the agency is you're not ready yet. But the truth is, if you're not ready, you're not ready. If you don't have your message together, you got to get your message together. In the old days, it was as easy as putting a press kit together. Now you need a freaking website. And not only that, you need a community. You have to have some history online. People need to see you're, you're connected to. So really, I mean, I advocate um, a, a growth PR strategy that starts with owned. You know, you first, what is your message? Do you have 
uh, a, a beachhead online to shared media? Do people in the space know you? Are they connected to you? Do they respect you? Once you've got those two things, you can do earned media because the first thing earned media is going to do is check you out online. And so if there's no history there, you're a ghost, you know, and they're not going to risk their reputation on something like that. Yeah, and you know, we have an onboarding guide that we go through with clients. So the answer pretty much gives itself, especially if it's for launching something. Are you ready or not? You can't answer these 20 questions that we have put together, 25, whatever it is. It's inherent that you're not. So we, and most of the time, people coming to us respect myself and our team members. So immensely, they're, they're asking, tell us what we need to do because they're, at a loss and um, we're getting to launch getting ready to launch a few products in the next three weeks and almost all of them are going out on product hunt first because when there isn't community yet and you need to you need to identify a place where that there already is community where it can fit so strategizing around that as well that's why i don't think there's a, a one-size-fits-all um, response for that um, this is from gail murphy my friend gail thanks for joining us gail thanks for your email can you articulate how using online formats has changed your business as well as your client needed relationships? Oh my gosh. Um, Gail, it's such a good question and will really force me to think because it's changed everything. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I worked myself out of a traditional career because of it, was able to start my company 11 years ago and do something that I never thought was, was possible. I was from small town, Illinois, you know, I, now living in Las Vegas with, with a, a company. I feel like it, it allowed me to, to build a network when I didn't need one. And it has allowed me to do 30 years of networking in 10, maybe, maybe more than that. So I feel like number one, the exponential reach we have access to uh, is something. And we, I, I feel like I need to knock on wood, but our company has been very unique in that we get all reactive requests for, for business. I don't do traditional business development um, because our clients typically are recommending us or the content we're putting out online or through my social channels are inherently bringing in business referrals. So I don't even know that I can communicate it effectively, just that it's working and I try to just do good and, and be good online and take our my personal level of customer service and deliver that everywhere. Um. Jonna Burke is with us. Jonna, thanks so much for showing up. She's the uh, Global Managing Director of the International Association for the Measurement and Evaluation of Communication, AMEC. And uh, I recently did a 54-page, I kid you not, vendor-neutral white paper that no one paid me to write on media monitoring. It's a buyer's guide. It's got all sorts of analysis, a side-by-side features comparison chart with all the different platforms. It's free at... uh, erichforsman.com forward slash monitoring. And Jonna was so generous with me in the writing of that paper. She hooked me up with some really interesting CEOs and folks at agencies to really expand my knowledge of media monitoring. And she says, um, since Sarah is always so generous, here's one she should add to her free list. It's called answerthepublic.com, and it allows people to see what's being searched using autocomplete data. How interesting. You ever do the autocomplete and kind of like, oh, maybe I should look go down that road. Um, she says it's a free tool created by Coverage Book, and then she recommends them as future guests for this show. If you want to hear from them, let me know in the chat, in the chat uh, 
in the chat window if that sounds interesting to you. Jonna, thanks so much for your for your comment. Here's an anonymous question. I love this question, especially, you know, as a question for us PR people with respect to reputation. How important is your company website? <sighs> so pre-COVID-19 or post? <laughs> uh, oh, I, this is the new normal. So post. Yeah, so post. Um, I feel like my opinion has changed on this in, in the past years, and now it's moved back into extremely important uh, simply because people may check or see you sourced on websites and other spending more time online. So going back to your website to see if it invokes a feel of credibility, if that makes sense. So um, they might see or hear your name on social. They might see it in, in paid or earned or ads. And then they they're now coming back to that hub, that main area, which is your website. So I think it's of extreme importance and extreme importance that it both invokes credibility and that it is credible and that you're providing additional news information and resources as it relates to the world right now. So I'm going to add something to this and I want to reference um, the late Julie Nathanson who passed away two days ago. She was an executive at Rogers and Cowan, which was the PR agency where I began my career. And uh, I remember once when I was just getting started, we were putting together a press kit for a client and this was the days before people had websites. And I wanted to do like this printed press kit and make it all slick and glossy. And she said, no, 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 you don't want to do that. Because if it's too slick and glossy, the press won't feel like they're discovering it. They'll feel like it's already discovered and everybody's getting it. So she took a freaking post-it note and wrote the name of the client, put it on the two-pocket dual pocket presentation folder, stuffed in some stuff with some handwritten notes on it and sent that off to CNN. And I thought that that was so brilliant. But if you apply that to the question of the website, right? I guess it really does depend. Like if you're digital lifestyle, you better have a good website, you know? But if you're maybe a small restaurant that's just opening in a market and you want to get a breakout story, you want to be seen as a scoop, maybe having something, you know, a little kind of clunky might actually help. I mean, I think that's really fair. I, I think we're learning a, a new normal. And it's one of those instances now where you know the rules and then you break them as it, as it fits you for what you need right now. And people are much more forgiving right now. What if you say, uh, you know, I couldn't afford to pay for web right now. When I can't even afford my employees. You know, that that's a story too. So it, I guess it's all situational. Okay, John, if you're still on the call, Cheryl Proctor-Rogers, who, by the way, I, Cheryl, I heard your keynote about diversity in Salt Lake City at conference years ago, and it totally expanded my way of thinking about diversity as a business strategy. So thank you for that. She says, bring them on. So, Jonna, let's do it. Let's have your, 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 your recommendations on PR Tech Wednesdays. Tim McMahon who is also a friend and uh, who I've uh, powwowed with over the years, has a question. He says, are you using Answer the Public? Well, that's the one she just, I'm going to go check it out. What are the specific listening tools you find useful for identifying trending topics? You know, actually, Tim, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to table it because we don't have that much time left and we do have a lot of questions. I want you to look at the replay of this because she gives a stack 
of really cool tools for figuring out what's trending. She gives her whole list. Um, Ross has another question. He says, when you use the word community, what is the number that constitutes community? He says, we have a wine club of 600 with a national opt-in list of 6,000 who are engaged on a national scale. This is incremental, but it supports and grows our business. Is this a relevant number in relation to the PR community? I think number is going to also, I, I, I feel like this entire time I've said, well, it's situational and it is because if you're pitching the media, you have to set context around the number, right? So it is 6,000 out of 10,000 or, you know, you start looking at what, what that number is out of to help tell your story. Uh, and that number may be meaningful. Is there another way you can phrase that number as 60% or, you know, you start to look about how you can use those numbers. I don't think that there is a number itself that constitutes community because if you're packaging together a trend piece and it's four or five out of an industry that is, is smaller in numbers, that also resonates very well. And everyone has to start somewhere. I don't like to get bogged down in the numbers unless it's essential for part of a story or storytelling. Um, you know, and engage 10 people and engage 600 people, it makes a difference. But if you're a startup and you're trying to pitch the tech crunches of the world and you have, you know, 10 users, is that a story that's going to resonate? Likely not. But if you have 10,000 users pre-go live, that's something of significance. So you have to look at, at what what is, what is the community for? Are you using it to tell a story? Are you using it to build a product? Are you using it to crowdsource? Are you using it to fundraise? Um, and, and then what you plan to do with that. Uh, is it something that's always going to remain organic and supportive? Do you plan to monetize them? Um, that also changes what you have the ability to do. So think about well, why that number is important, why you're tracking it, and what you plan to do with it. And I know that's a vague way to answer that, Ross. I'm sorry. Ross, I think it's totally a valid number to work with, particularly, I mean, it, I guess it depends how much information you have. I mean, if you have their email and it's not their spam email, um, I think, yeah, you could probably get going with that and, and probably um, institute some strategies to build that list because really that's what it's about, right? It's about using social media and earned media and own media to get people's information to build a list so that you can send information to them and try to convert them to a sale. I mean, that's sort of the big picture for, for e-commerce. When you think about the programs you're doing, because we've been talking mostly about the use of social to, for media relations here, um, is that always, for the most part, in your practice, is that always the, the, the objective, media relations? Or do you go direct to consumer on, on social as well? I, all of it. All the above. Um, in fact, you know, we've worked on creating or leveraging owned media for brands as well, where I serve as a digital correspondent and consultant. So without using the term influencer, because I don't know that I am that, but I do support a very specific space. Also working with different brands um, like Adobe and SAP as a media influencer, leveraging their tools and resources, creating content for them, also building relationships with journalists. And then also as, as um, a as a creative space for myself, one of the things I did all last year was to do a thought of the day every day. And I started to view that as my digital archive or my digital legacy for my children. If they went back one day and wanted to see what mom was thinking about, they would have access to this. Something I, I wanted to keep doing, but I feel like in the midst of COVID-19, now that none of us are separated from each other, I haven't had as much reflection time in the morning as I once did that I, that I built in. So it's a multitude of ways, but I'm very specific in the ways I do and do not use social. 
I, before I forget, you know, you're, you're in the trade show capital of the world and it's also a huge hospitality town and hospitality's dead. So what's going on in Vegas? Characterize the scenario for us. What, what's it like on the strip? What's it like in the supermarkets? What's going on? So I, I think um, a, a quick litmus test on our street, my husband and I are probably the only fully employed two-person household right now. Um, the, our neighbors across the street work in um, trade shows. He's had his company for 30 years. It's completely shut down. All of our neighbors are, are out of work. I think we're the number one in unemployment in the U.S. right now. Uh, my husband sells beer, so he's an essential employee, but I mean, his, his pay is going to go down because all of the majority of his sites are, are closed down. Um, it's definitely impacting our community. Um, I was talking to um, a mom on the phone yesterday in the neighborhood who she stays home and her husband is furloughed and they only get one more paycheck um, and he works at a hotel. So it, there's a lot unknown. People are very nervous trying to figure out what to do next i know several people who are asking me like what online classes should i be doing we just brought on temporarily two hospitality pr executives from other firms in vegas to support our efforts um and they can stay with us as long you know as as they need to but it's there's a lot unknown yeah yeah i mean i'm seeing i have like 20 online classes and i've seen attendance on those pretty much double and uh, podcasting is pretty much flat you know, you would have thought that with everyone at home and not commuting and not at the gym, that it would go down, but it's actually off about 4%. Really? So, yeah. And it, it had a bigger dip. And then uh, I, I subscribed to a killer um, uh, a newsletter. Oh gosh. Pod track, pod, I'll re- pod beat. Uh, I'll, I'll remember it in a second. I'll post Tell me, it. I have to add it to my tools. <laughs> oh, it's a killer newsletter. Okay. I will find it and I will post it to the chat tool in a second. Um, so in terms of the whole trade show world, Mm-hmm. I mean, any sense of when that's coming back? Have you heard anything from people who are building booths? Uh, are they getting orders? What's going on? The only thing that we've seen, and it was two days ago, that um, came out from one of the big hotels, and now I'm blanking, but May 31st is, is now the new date on hold. Um, every day we talk to folks, so we're just experiencing more layoffs and, and furloughs. So um, I don't know. One of the things, I mean, just at a very simple level, the local restaurants especially the smaller ones, our family's trying to order from every day. Um, and we're encouraging anyone who can afford it to do the same just to keep them in business. The, the last thing we want are, are more businesses closing and more restaurants going out of work. The uh, newsletter is called Hot Pod. Hot Pod. Thank you. Comes out of once a week, and it's it's the real deal. The guy who runs it is a former night journalist, uh, um, Grant Winner, and now he does it on his own. And it really, they really get a lot of scoops about what's happening in that, in that world of podcasting. Um, interesting note from last week's guest. Uh, actually, no, it was not a guest on this show. I do another show. If you're interested in lead generation, if you're in performance marketing, interested in funnels and that type of thing, optimization, I do a show called the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. It's just a podcast. It's not live. And I had Eric Sue on who's the guy who's partnered with Neil Patel on marketing school. That's like one of the number one podcasts. And he said, you know, when I break down where my leads come from, about half comes from search, which is why I had said to everyone at the beginning, you know, when I made the class free on SEO, you know, 
50% is coming from search. You need to learn search. He said 35% comes from speaking opportunities and networking. Well, that's off the table. And then he said 15% comes from podcasts, but it can, they, those people convert at a much higher rate, much shorter sales cycle, much higher amount because they know me already. You know, I've been in their ears. They get who I am. And if they've responded to me and they like my personality, they're going to like me in person as well because I am who I am. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Oh, my God, we are over. So I've got to wrap this up. Okay, I have a client so, call. <laughs> I never go over. Okay, why don't uh, I'm going to let you go, and then I'm going to do the closing announcements, okay? Thank you so much for having me, Eric. You are a gem. Uh, it's a pleasure to know you, and thank you so much for your time. Likewise, likewise, Sarah. Um, okay, so I just want to thank our two uh, presenting supporting sponsors. Special thanks to Flux Branding, a world-renowned resource for defining your visual brand. Flux Branding is a group of creative visionaries and graphics designers designed to help clients build brand identities, and you can visit them at ericschwartzman.com forward slash Flux Branding. And I want to thank Digital Dragon, where children can develop the skills they need to prosper in the digital world. Digital Dragon teaches digital literacy to tomorrow's programmers, and you can get more information about them at ericschwartzman.com forward slash DD. Now, next week, uh, I'm really excited because if you are at all interested in uh, LinkedIn's acquisition of Linda, what that's meant, and if you're interested in maybe authoring a course on LinkedIn Learning, I have uh, with us uh, next week, Martin Waxman, who's done a number of courses, top performing courses about public relations on LinkedIn learning. And we're going to talk all about online courses, particularly around online courses for lead generation, online courses to make a market for premium goods and services. So I hope you'll join us for that. Um, you know, I got so excited with this uh, week's show that I went over. I don't typically go over. Uh, if you're watching this on Facebook Live, if you're watching this on YouTube Live, if you're watching this on Periscope, come on into the Zoom call and join it, you know, join into the conversation, ask questions. You can sign up at prtechwednesdays.com. We do this every Wednesday from 12 to 1. It's free. You just sign up at prtechwednesdays.com. And even if you can't make it, we'll send you out a link to the replay. We also have set up a podcast on this too. So if you are a podcast listener, you can get the replays on iTunes or on Spotify. Um, this has been Eric Schwartzman, and uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. So many familiar faces or familiar names, at least, that I've seen out there, and I'm, I'm uh, grateful to have you with me. And I hope next time you guys will come on screen and ask some more questions. Okay, I think I'm, I've almost figured it out. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.